This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, Ryan White is our live stream producer, and be sure to check out my YouTube and Rumble channels, Strange Planet. That way you can watch me on the radio. Coming up in the second hour, skunk apes, little people, and underground bases with journalist Mary Joyce. She's the founder and editor-in-chief at skyshipsovercashiers.com, a website dedicated to uh, curating Stories of High Strangeness. This hour, UFO and paranormal investigator, author Preston Dennett returns to the program, along with special guest Dolly Safran. Dolly and her incredible story are the subject of Preston's new book, Symmetry, a True UFO Adventure, which chronicles Dolly's lifelong experiences with the greys, grey aliens. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 29 books. And more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Several of his books have been Amazon UFO bestsellers. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Phenomena Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. His writing has been translated into several different languages, including German, French, Portuguese, Russian, and Icelandic. Preston Dennett, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Richard? Terrific. Thank you. You know, if you continue to write books, it's going to take me an hour just to read your biography. (laughs) 
I know, I know. I've got to stop. Somebody stop me. I can't no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep them coming. Uh, let's uh, say hello to Dolly Saprin has worked as a limo driver, assistant manager at Wendy's, a zookeeper, a bus driver, a security guard, a nurse, and more, including as a civilian worker for the U.S. Department of the Treasury and also in the Army as an employee employee for the U.S. Department of Defense. Her UFO contacts began around age one and are still ongoing today. Dolly, welcome to you. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. I'm going to start with you, Dolly, if I could. And I just want you to give us kind of a quick overview uh, of what happened on, uh, well, one evening back in January of 1973 when you were living near the Florida Everglades. Um, I was out with my telescope, and uh, it's about one in the morning. My dad said, go to bed. So I packed down, went in the house, got ready for bed. Uh, I don't sleep a lot, so I was looking out my window and uh, looking up, and Orion was up that night. And uh, I just saw it started to see 100 lights that I didn't recognize as anything. And they were moving around, and they all paired up. They all went in different directions, east, west, north, and south. And I realized that, oh, my God, this is my chance. Um, I've been uh, waiting for an opportunity to prove or disprove my insanity or not uh, because of everything that I knew in life. And um, this was it in my mind. I started watching them come down from outer space. They went from white to uh, a golden orange color, and they kept changing colors until they got down over the house. The last color before I saw metallic was blue, bluish, and uh I saw it swaying and bobbing, and the trees uh, behind the house were moving around wildly, you know. Um, I was in the shock. I was like, this is perfect. And I start memorizing the craft I'm looking at. I know it's not ours, and I'm thinking, okay, every inch of it, memorize it now. And so I started from the bottom, and I worked my way up. When I got to the portholes, I realized that there were two beings looking out at me. I mean, huh. You know, eye to, eye to eye, and it freaked me at that point. And uh, I thought, you know, we're, we're done. And I turned to get away from it. I was going to dive under my bed, and I froze. My whole room exploded in blue-white blue light. I went out, no memory after that. Woke up on my floor about three hours later with nobody's clothes on that I knew, and I uh, could hear my mom in the kitchen. Um, I got a shower, got dressed into my own clothes, went in the kitchen and uh, made coffee for her. She asked me to. Uh, I started trying to ask her questions. You know, Mom, did you guys see lights last night? Did you hear anything weirdness going on? And she turned around, put her finger on my face and said, no, you know, which meant shut up. And I was sitting there at the table and I actually drank my first cup of coffee ever. I was weirding out. And uh, the radio was on. It was on Paul Harvey. And um, all of a sudden the news came on and uh, the first thing out of the guy's mouth was two deadland police officers saw UFOs last night and described the whole thing. I became extremely hysterical. I was happy. Uh, like, oh my God, this is confirmation. You know, I've been waiting for this. And my mother whirled on me again and said, get out of the kitchen. She hated me talking about this stuff. My father was walking mm-hmm. into the kitchen as I was going out and he said, you know, get calm. You're fine. It's Okay go in the bathroom, meditate. Um, I come from a really intelligent bunch of people, and uh, I was already learning to meditate by then, and uh, my dad said, just go meditate. 
So I took myself in the bathroom, the only private room in the whole bloody house, locked the door, turned the light out, sat on the floor, and went through the recall. I was from the beginning of it all the way through, and I was doing it step by step by step. And suddenly I was able to recall what happened to me after the light burst. And uh, pretty much a, a, a ribbon, like an energy ribbon came down through the light and a being came down the ribbon and uh, took me by the hand, which I wasn't fighting, and took me up. Um, amazingly, uh, I became weightless, you know, and he was taking me up this ribbon. They had the door to the craft open and uh, they shoved me in. And I, it, that was a little weird because I didn't know what was in that open door. And I <clears throat> hit the deck, you know, and it just went from there. That was a big day. <laughs> There's the understatement of the century. That was a big day. Uh, so your memory, I mean, the details that you just related, Dolly, listening to Paul Harvey uh, and people of a certain vintage certainly remember Paul Harvey. And now, you know, the rest of the story and having your first cup yeah. of coffee, um, yeah. the way that your mother put her hand, finger on her on your forehead, basically telling you to be quiet. Um I mean, it's remarkable because most memory. people who have most people who have an encounter like this, uh, they're so traumatized they suppress it. It's only uh, they're only able to recover that memory through hypnosis, often. But not you. I mean, why? You're what you call a conscious contact contactee, right? Why are you different yeah. in that regard? Do you suppose? Um. Well. Back then, I, I was clueless. I didn't know yet. Um, but as I've uh, gotten older and been through many things with them, I realized that um, they pretty much bred me for this. Um, I am My family is closely watched. My father was a contactee, and before, 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 they know my entire family line. And I think that they were um, hoping that I would fulfill, you know, what they were looking for me to do. And apparently I did, because I stayed pretty conscious. I have a really good memory. I have an eidetic memory. And uh, I have some other strange things about me. And um, I don't sleep. I sleep two hours a day, tops. And, even, to uh, this, even to this day, you, you sleep know, two hours a day? Yeah, unless I'm sick. Then I, I go out of my way to try to go down, you know, so I heal. But, no, I only sleep two hours a day, period. That's remarkable. I've so, been that way my uh, entire we'll, life. We'll get into... We'll get into, you know, the, the other experiences in a moment, but I want to bring Teston, Preston Dennett on, onto the program. Again, the author of Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. Preston, how did you first hear about Dolly's story, and how did, how did the two of you get together? Oh, this is actually really interesting and a bit mind-boggling. Uh, we first, uh, she contacted me in 2016, and Dolly had been thinking about going public for some time because uh, she had quite a story to tell. She knew it was important, and she saw how UFO contact was being largely misrepresented in the media. There's a lot of fear surrounding it. That's not her experience. So she was talking to her ET contacts, the Greys, and you know, invite, getting advice from them, like, I want to go forward. And they said, okay, you know, this is going to be a big deal, but we support you and uh, just go find a good researcher that you can tell your story to. And so she started looking at various researchers, 
and uh, wasn't happy with some of them. And they told her, just keep looking, keep looking, you'll find the person you're looking for. And she wasn't finding them. And they said, well, we want you to look up a gentleman by the name of Preston Bennett. So, <laughs> actually, I was referred by the Greys to Dolly by name, which may sound crazy, but you know that's happened to me previously. Is that right? <laughs> yes, I had a guy from England, same darn thing. The Greys told him, call a gentleman by the name of Preston Bennett. Look him up. We want you to talk to him. And this is what they told Dolly. So, boy, that's humbling to me. And really, like, wow, the Greys know me. Dolly, had you, were you familiar with Preston Dennett before you were um, told by the Greys to contact Preston no, Dennett? No, not at all. I had no idea who he was. Uh, they said that he had YouTube videos and uh, look on there and see if I could find one. And uh, I'm a, I'm a, I like to know everything there is to know. So I went into this playlist and went way back. I wanted to see some of his first videos. And uh, I figured that would tell me um, the beginning of what I think about him, you know. And uh, I got, I caught up with when he was at a MUFON uh, symposium of some sort. And he was talking about healing, uh, ET healings. And I watched the whole thing and I was stricken by the fact that um, he's very thorough. He's a very precise, he gives, um, he's very um, capable of repeating details in order and, and his knowledge base was incredible. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm impressed. And uh, I sent him an email and he contacted me right away. I mean, right away, like within a day. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and uh, we started uh, phoning after that, I guess about a week later, maybe. And uh, next thing I know, it's on. Um, I started trusting him. I started realizing that he he uh, he didn't play games. He didn't embellish on anything I was telling him. He wanted to know the straight facts. He was asking intelligent questions. And so I was quite happy with the fact that they put me on him, you know. Um, this was probably since 2016 this happened. So it took a while. You know, and and you just told your basically your it just came up it it poured out of you and and you put this together in a book in book form, Preston. Is that pretty much how it happened? About the I was getting a kidney transplant when I met him. I was on dialysis and my Uh. husband uh, tried to do away with me, and uh, so it took me about a about eight months, nine months, maybe you know a year to get really comfortable with him. So I only told him the beginning story of my life. Okay, just enough to see how he was going to react to it. I'm very careful. And uh, so he put it in a book on board uh, UFO Encounters. And uh, when I read it, I was like, oh, this is good, you know. Mm -hmm. Once I made it past my um, transplant, it just sort of went from there. And he started really interviewing me. He was putting me on tape. And uh, it took a long time, you know. And uh, I realized that he was ready to hook it interviews. Not hundreds of hours <laughs> yes i mean we talked and daily for a very long time her story is extensive i'm telling you richard i've interviewed a lot of people and i can say with confidence that dolly's story is the most extensive uh case of and complicated case of ufo contact i've ever researched and really even read about i mean if, you may have heard of uh jim sparks he's got yes. a very extensive case betty andreason uh, but yep. dolly is you know, some 60 years of fully, well, not 60, I guess it would be 
some years of fully conscious contact, or slightly less than that, but you know, decades and decades of being contacted. It was over a hundred times a year, isn't that correct, Dolly? Yes, easily. You've yeah. been you've been taken on board, or you've had contact with the Greys, on average, one hundred times every year since what you were going back before this encounter um, in 73 quickly, all the way right back to when you were one years old is that right waking up um it began then um i told them i wanted to fly uh, my training began so probably about the age of 15 on it was easily 100 times a year more in the beginning because i was training to fly it took me till i was 19 before i actually went had my first solo flight um okay we'll get into that, that too but and you, do you remember every single encounter since yes, you were, say, 15? Yes. And it, does it happen, okay, so every every couple of nights, is that why you sleep only two hours a day? <laughs> Pretty much, I think so. Um, I'm very conscious. Um, uh, when you're psychic, wide-open psychic, you really don't need as much sleep, I think, than somebody who isn't. Um, I'm aware of everything all the time. My... My higher consciousness, you know, my astral mind is very linked up with me, and I just, it travels around, you know, I'm able to travel around remote view, OBE, that that sort of thing from a very early age, and I think that's why I don't sleep as much. Is that a result of, the, of your interaction with the greys, or did you, is that a separate gift that you have, or is it a result of the interaction with the, with the aliens? I was born seriously psychic, um... So I think it has more to do with my psychic uh, connection than it does anything else. And is that why they chose you, because of your psychic abilities? Yes. Yeah, but this, goes, this speaks to why they follow family lines, because this is something that they've been sort of encouraging in people. So I think it kind of goes both ways. And it's definitely a pattern I see with contactees. As a general rule, they're profoundly psychic and have a wide variety of paranormal experiences. So um, at a certain point, Dolly, they 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 asked you, "Is there anything that you you know you'd like to learn?" And you mentioned immediately for I mean, this would be the first thing I'd say. I want to learn how to fly one of these things. So when did that training begin? Uh, literally right after I was fourteen and a half, and um, I had my memory of my youth started coming back to me. I have a. Uh, there's a a tall gray that is with me all the time. Her name is Mama. And when I'm up with them, Mama is present with me. She is my liaison facilitator. She's, uh, she takes care of me. Um, she helped me to regain what I, what I hadn't remembered. I started connecting all the dots. I mean, I, I've had memories since I was about 10 months old, but they were not cohesive. They were dreamlike. They were, this is how I knew that I needed to be conscious. I thought I was crazy for a while. I thought, oh my God, you know, what's wrong with me? Um, and that's why I tried so hard to become aware, conscious, and fought for it. Um, so my memories of my childhood started coming into me, and um, I've been trained most of my life by them. I started going to school with them when I was about six years old. They were taking me um, quite a bit and uh, having me go to school, and um, they were keeping me with other kids who were like me. They were uh, giving me um, information. They were taking me places and showing me. I mean, it was just a full-on education by them. Um, I needed to know a lot 
for whatever I ended up doing with them, and uh, so it began early with me. And uh, how do you fly one of those things? Is it done with the mind? Uh, is there a yes. control panel? Yes. Um, the um, the ship is alive. It is indwelt by an interdimensional entity who uh, indwells on board the craft and actually becomes one with the craft. It becomes a biological entity in that the craft uh, becomes its body and uh, his body. I'm going to say his. Um, he has a name. Uh, my uh, my flyer is, I nicknamed him. His name is too hard for me to pronounce. His name is Talara, and it's part of his name. It's a little piece of it, so he lets me get away with calling him that. Um, um, I have, I'm psychic as well, and we m- join psychic force together in an interdimensional um, uh, electromagnetic field that um, lets our consciousness go into it at the same time, and we meld, and uh, we fly together. I pilot, and he runs every other system on the craft. Um, their their crafts are nothing like you would possibly imagine. I, um, Bob Lazar tried to explain it. Um, he did a really good job. Uh, there is no connected wires. There are no... There are no panels with switches on them. There are no drivable pieces. Although I did, I was given a physical way to uh, pilot before I learned to link, and um, it was very rudimentary, you know, just to give me a taste. Um, before that, other people are given that chance too. Other contactees, when they're brought on board, are asked, "You want to sit in the pilot seat? You want to give it a go? You know, you want to try it out? You want to see how it feels?" And uh, there's a reason for that. And uh, they pretty much are looking for us to be brought up and become quite aware and understand what's going on around us right now. And we're trained for certain missions that are coming up in the future. Mm. Where did you go the first time you uh, you took command of the vessel? Where did you go? Um, I went to Saturn. It was very, very cool. Um, he, we went up to the rings. We, well, we, we sat back of them and looked at them, and he took me above them and below them, and then we went around the planet, and uh, we started looking at the moons, and uh, I was learning the topography of the rings. It's really important there for them to know that um, each section of the rings is a different composition. Some are big rocks, some are, you know, some of it's frozen water, some of it's, you know, crystals of isol joined up together. Um, there's heavy, serious dust, plasma dust in those rings. There's all kinds of things, and there are a few places where you can fly through them without um, hurting yourself, hurting the crowd. Dolly, got to jump in and, here. Pardon the interruption. Preston Dennett, Dolly, Saffron will be back in a moment. Uh, more of our conversation on this remarkable, true UFO adventure. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. And we are back with Preston Dennett and Dolly Saffron talking about her remarkable uh, story, Lifelong Relationship with Grey Aliens. The book is called Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. And... um, this is probably going to sound a little self-indulgent, but whatever. I got to ask you because you're in regular contact with Grays, uh, Dolly, and they were the ones who put you on to Preston Dennett, uh, suggested that he write this story for you. Uh, did did you get, I don't know, uh, approval from the Grays or a, 
to, to come on this program tonight? I mean, do they <laughs> do, do they kind of consult you in all media matters? Um, actually, Talata brought you guys up, and I asked Preston if he had contacted you or not, and he didn't know. He, he puts a lot of information out, and so he said he'd check. And uh, I think that was about two weeks ago. So apparently uh, he did get in contact with y'all. And yes, Talata knows who Coast to Coast is. And you. All right. Yeah, well, that's another show. We're going to do Coast to Coast together as well. But um, okay, yes. terrific. They know Coast to Coast. That's So we were talking about... Um, let me just get back to Preston here for a moment. Um, you said this is the most sort of comprehensive, detailed, complex um, subject you've ever dealt with or, or um, contactee that you've ever uh, in- encountered. What makes Dolly's story particularly so uh, so different, compelling than than others. And after you know, after writing twenty nine books and speaking to hundreds of witnesses, uh, give me a few examples of what makes Dolly's story so different and compelling, Preston. Well, there's two main things. Because I will say, much of what she's told me, I have heard from other people. I, mean, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Jay Gardner. He, as a young man, was also picked up by the ETs and taken to see Saturn. I've heard this before. You know, I've heard many people describe how the ships are fully conscious, living beings in and among themselves. What makes Dolly's story different is a few things. One, she's not looking at her experiences through the lens of fear, which is very common among the people I talk to, especially in the beginning stages. Many of them do move past it at some point. And another thing is Dolly, it doesn't, have the problem of amnesia or missing time, which even among people who are having a lot of contact still does occur. So those are two main things. Uh, Much of what she said I've heard piecemeal from other people, but she sort of has a continuous narrative. She's connecting the dots, filling in all the blank spaces, and uh, does have some absolutely unique experiences. And I've talked to people who've been taken to other planets but Dolly's able to describe this experience in great detail, or being taken onto mother ships and seeing arboretums or animal husbandry centers or healing centers or, you know, uh, hangars filled with craft. All this stuff I've heard before, but Dolly has the detail, and she's able to describe it in a way that it's objective and not, you know, fear-based, which is a huge deal. Uh, Dolly, did they take you back to their home planet for your schooling, or were you always just on board this this particular craft flying around like our solar system? I went to the Grays, the Tall Grays homeworld, yes, to the Orion Cluster. And it's a pretty big planet, and uh, it's in the sweet spot. has less gravity than we do. We're very gravity-heavy here, um, and it's um, not polluted and they have trees that are ginormous. I mean, uh, we have some, uh, I call them skeletal remains of a few trees here that uh, go to that. Um, Dell's Tower was a tree. It's, that's the, it's like the stump of a tree there. That's how big they are. There's a few more examples in Mexico and around the world, and they were that big. <laughs> they are that big. And um, I had a school, it was like um a portico that surrounded the tree, and it 
it was open to the sky, but it lipped over on the sides. And um, when I went, the the building that I was in, in the tree, was mostly only female children. And then there was another tree further down from us that they only did the boys. And um, I went there. Um, I still go there from time to time just to hang out or whatever. They have uh, huge complexes on the ground as well and quarters where you can sleep. And um, they have a huge metropolis of people there uh, living. So, yeah, that is their home world, and that is where I went mostly. I went to a few other places. They would take me uh, on field you know, excursions, field trips, I guess you would think of them as. And I did other things as well. And how long are you missing for uh, on any given um, trip? Are you are you are you studying on this planet for for days or weeks or months? Uh, sometimes weeks, and um, I think the longest I've been out is probably about a month. Um, that was flight training, and uh, they always bring me back within uh, minutes after I was uh, taken. They have the ability to go back. Um, through time a little bit and bring you to your starting point and leave you off. So there's no... Okay, that, was, that was my next question yeah. because when you were living at home with your parents uh, and if you obviously you weren't missing for months as far as they were concerned. No. They were still there. So they have this ability to go back in time. Yes. Yes. Um, bring us back in time. Um, I'm not visiting. I, I, don't, I don't go back to just before I leave, I come back right after I've, I'm gone so that I'm not running into myself or in what they call dead air. Um, it's complicated. Uh, I can, you can interact with the past in that you can see it. It can almost see you. It just depends on how, what era you're going into, but you can't really have anything to do with it. You just walk among it, you know. Um, the future is way different than that. They can view the future as well. There is no timeline out. There's no space time when they're out and about uh, interdimensionally. It just doesn't exist. So they can pretty much do anything they want. When we hear about, typically, when we hear about contactees or abductees and their encounters with the greys, the greys seem almost robotic, rather... um, uh, unemotional, detached, in some cases even cruel, maybe not intentionally so. Um, but what you're describing, Dolly, these greys seem kind, uh, spiritually enlightened. Um, are we talking about two different races of greys here? Um, okay, let's begin with this. Um, there's no such thing as uh, multiple races in the universe. We are pretty much all one race. We dime out differently. We DNA differently. But that doesn't make our race different. We're all a human bipedal. We can interbreed with one another. Um, Even on our planet, there are no races. We are all human uh, genome. Uh, We just look different. That's a whole other, you know, you're ethnic, okay? Your ethnicity from where you uh, grew up on the planet. You know, you either got darker or lighter according to where you were living with the heat or not, okay? So ethnicity, yes, there are multiple ethnicities of grace. There's seven that I know of. Um, and the ones that you think don't have emotions are kind of, you know, stern. They're about three feet tall, and they're AI, okay? And uh, they can be uh, autonomous as well as indwelt by another 
remotely buy another grave for a specific reason. When they're not used, you can stack them up like chairs. <laughs> really? No, they're not necessary. They are necessary for a very important reason. Space is dangerous. Space is full of gamma radiation. We live on a planet with a magnetosphere, and it protects us from that incoming. It pushes it away from us. But out in space, that's not the story. There's no protection from it. And uh, they would prefer to be on a planet with a magnetosphere, and they do try to do that most of the time. Uh, when they're not, the grays are working, and they do most everything for them. That's why most humans' first contact with them uh, is the AI grays. And, yeah, they, they're autonomous little biological um, constructs, and, and they don't display a lot of emotion. They're very matter-of-fact and do what they got to do. And did you they're have hungry. initially... Do you remember having interactions with the AI grays, or were you only dealing with the tall grays? My first contact were AI grays, who I saw in those two ports on that craft, were AI grays. And uh, that's what threw me, because I don't have a real memory of seeing them up close before that. You know, there wasn't anything in the back of my mind to warn me psychically that, you know, what the hell, okay? And uh, so when I saw them, I was like, mm, not meeting you today. And I started to move away from them. And that didn't end up being what happened, but yeah. And I've gotten to know who they are, what they are, and why they are. And uh, they're very, very good at what they do. All right, we have uh, another timeout ahead of us here. We'll come back. Preston, we'll get back to you. Preston Dennett, the author of Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure, which is the uh, the story of Dolly Saffron, a lifelong contactee, a conscious contactee. She remembers everything. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And if you're gathered in the YouTube live chat, just a heads up. Next segment, we'll, uh, we'll take questions, comments. And my live stream producer, Ryan White, can curate those for me. And he'll send them my way, and then I'll read them over the air for uh, either Dolly or Preston or both. Preston Dennett, the author of Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure, his 29th book, and it is the uh, the story, remarkable story, of Dolly Saffron and her lifelong uh, encounters with Greys. Uh, Preston, what's the most important thing you learned from uh, from Dolly regarding this whole UFO uh, ET arena? Um, <laughs> that's a difficult question. I think that she confirmed what I was the conclusion, the assessment that I'd finally come to. Initially, when I got involved in this field, I was not a happy camper. I felt like the, the contact experience was very traumatic, and I was wondering if this was good for us. And after years of research and looking very carefully at what happens to people when they are taken on board, I started to come around 180 degrees and realize, well, when people are being physically examined, often they're being healed, and when they don't have a strong fear reaction, their experience is quite different. They are not rendered paralyzed. They do not have their memory suppressed. They're often given a tour of the craft, taken to see the engine room perhaps, taken up to the helm, the control room, told how to fly the craft. Uh, perhaps they're taken to, up to an observation deck. The, the walls will turn transparent and they show them 
there's Earth down below, you know, there's the moon, there's another planet, a star field. They will give them spiritual advice, how to heal, how to do astral travel, past life recall, uh, precognition, all these kinds of things. And this is something I heard piecemeal, largely from people. And like Dolly was saying, you know, there's the AI grays and then there's the medium grays and the tall grays who are emotional and loving. And it was confusing to me because I would hear people talk about these little grays running around and being somewhat, you know, unfeeling or not reacting to their emotions. And they usually describe seeing, you know, a taller gray who was sort of, I don't really like the term handler, but their contact, you know, their main person. And uh, often they describe them as being very emotional, loving even. And uh, to hear Dolly describe this in more lucid terms really brought you know, a lot of the things together and confirmed them for me. The contact experience is good for us. It can be very scary, especially when you're being physically examined, but honestly, Richard, that's the worst I hear. I have no accounts, virtually none, of what I would call sadistic behavior or ETs trying to hurt or scare people. It just doesn't, it's not there. Uh, certainly not in my files. Dolly, when you're on board a craft uh, or you're on their home planet, do you see other contactees and do you recognize them when you come back? I mean, uh, I don't know, maybe a neighbor or someone down the street or a police officer who's also been taken aboard. Um, there are a few people who I grew up around that, yes, I know that we're all contactees together. Um, uh, and I see them and I'm still friends with them on uh, social media. And uh, whether they're conscious or cognizant of it is a whole other story. There are a few. Um, my best friend that I grew up with is a contactee as well, and she's now passed away. Um, but her sister remembers everything she ever told her about it. And uh, that pleased me more than you know. It, it, it made me happy to hear that, that she talked about us and our adventures and stuff like that. Um, I've run into two people in my lifetime who I know are contactees but did not recognize me. So there was nothing I could do about it. I just smiled at them and, you know, went through my life after that. Um, I saw one at the zoo that I was at, and I saw one uh, working in the school system. Uh, it shocked me, and uh, that amazed me. So, yeah, I've, I've run into people. I mostly isolate. My life has been very busy, so I don't really do a lot here um, socially or anything like that. I don't see anybody. I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. So th that's how I live because I'm too busy Life. elsewhere. After all this time, uh, you know, more than 50 years, why, why did you decide to come forward now and tell your story to Preston Dennett? Were, did the Greys kind of direct you in that regard? Now is the time? And if so, why? Yes. Um, they've been um, trying to uh, enlighten and uh, bring people to come be aware of what's happening around them. Uh, we don't live in a world where um, you are, uh, it's not known to you at least they try to make sure you're not known, what's actually happening to our solar system right now, our planets. Um, it is time. It's more than time. I'm almost, I became frantic at one point to 
say because everybody I talk to just doesn't seem to get it. And it's like their education is so lacking and so sparse that there's no way for them to get what's going on. And uh, we're all autonomous beings. E.T. taught me that. Okay? That's why we have free reign here. That's why they don't interfere in our lives. But we have a situation now. Our planet is in trouble. It is coming rapidly, and they can't make rescue until people wake up enough. So I'm one of the front runners, and there are many of us, I'm telling you, who are talking privately to people, uh, trying to get people to wake up and use their innate abilities to seek the truth, to get away from negativity, to clean their bodies up because we're polluted, and to get ready. Get ready. We'll ask you for get ready for what when we come back. This was a short segment. Preston Dennett and Dolly Saffron stay with us. Symmetry, a true UFO adventure. Back with more in a moment. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Dolly Safran is with us, and uh, Preston Dennett, the author of Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. Before I get back to you, Dolly, and ask you, you know, prepare for what, uh, Preston, why is it called Symmetry? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. My first title, I wanted to call it Dolly Among the Stars. We ended up calling a chapter uh, with that name. But I asked Dolly, you know, do you have any ideas? You know, what do you want to title the book? It's really your story. And she says, I want to call it Symmetry. I'm like, wow, you know, that's a really interesting choice. Why? And she explained that this was one of the ET lessons that they really pounded into her. It was very important for her to understand that there's a symmetry to life throughout the universe. And this was a very pronounced lesson. And they took her to these other planets and showed her that life is pretty much the same everywhere. They showed her people who live on other planets, and they look like us with minor differences. But, yeah, there's pine trees, there's, you know, mammals, there's fish, there's birds. There's a symmetry to life throughout the universe, and not only with, you know, life, but energy as well and the structure of our universe, from the macro universe with solar systems and galaxies to the micro universe, all the way down to an atomic level. There's a symmetry and a pattern to all of this. The humanoid form is pretty much universal. So this was a big lesson, and uh, symmetry is a really good way to wrap that all up in one word. All right, Dolly, before the break, you were saying that they were telling you you need to speak, you need to come out and speak publicly about your experiences because we need to prepare. It's coming. What do we need to prepare for? Um, our solar system, our sun has uh, some issues. And for the last 280 million years, give or take, uh, because our planet was uh, part of a huge planetoid crash in our universe, uh, Mars was in the sweet seat. Mars was opposing Mars um, around the sun. 
uh, we were a little bit more, uh, Earth was gravity light, Mars is a bigger planet, and it was more gravity heavy, and it was loaded with life. And a rogue planet came in, there was another planet in our system, it destroyed that planet completely, sent it straight up to the Kuiper Belt, it burst uh, Mars to the point that it totally burst out its entire outside, um, lost everything in the hit, all its moons took hits, and it is now outgassing, and it has no core. It is now a dead planet. It is cold. Um, Earth uh, wobbles, and it has the inside of the planet hit to the point that we have bulges on the inside of our, you know, underneath the magma. And uh, we have big, huge magma pockets that go in different directions. They're huge. And uh, we wobble as a result, and uh, we tilt. The sun... Uh, because of all the dust and the debris from this cataclysmic event, uh, burps every now and then. There's a lot of dust, plasma dust in the universe to begin with, but we're loaded with it, okay? And the sun is taking it on constantly, and it's like every 10,000 years for one one uh, thing that goes on with us, and then about mm-hmm. 6,000 for another. We're, we're uh, experiencing both at the same time right now. We also have a very large electromagnetic current sheets slicing through us from our own galaxy. Uh, so our sun is not a happy camper, and we are about to experience a CME of biblical proportions. Uh, our magnetosphere is down. Our sun changed its pulse about 80 years ago. We uh, All the planets in our system are now changing their pulse. I'll give you an example. One that just occurred was Neptune. We just saw that planet develop one hot spot, and the rest of the planet went cold when it changed its pulse. It's polarity. Uh, We're about there, and it's getting worse. While this has been occurring, our magnetosphere is down. We're taking heavy loads of gamma radiation here. If you want to know why there's more cancer, why there's more autoimmune disorders, why there's more mental disorders, why our genome is breaking down, that's why. The powers that be on this planet know this. They've known it for quite some time. They've been preparing for it. They've proved it. Um, when we have that CMA, it will be X-class, and it's going to come through us because we have no magnetosphere to protect us from it as a class X CMA, and it will send everything on this planet straight back to the Stone Age all the way down to miles deep. Uh, that's a serious situation. Um, ET is not here right now. They bugged out about a year ago, almost a full year ago. The last of them are now gone. They do maintain watching us. They have satellites. Uh, and they are able to remote view us and OBES and stuff like that. But they are physically not here. They can't. They can't fly this. The crashes that you've heard about over time are because our magnetosphere was going down and our le- electromagnetic currents on this planet would send a craft crashing to the ground. It would just suddenly disappear and it would go down. And an experienced pilot couldn't maintain it. Um, so when is the timeline? When is this supposed to happen? Well... The excursion is uh, sped up, and they're really not sure here. Um, ET explains to me what I've learned from them is that we're looking at two and a half to three years from now. Um, the powers that be on this planet have dug down. All those bases that you think are underground are nothing but hide holes for them. 
to go and live underground. And it's all over the planet. Every single 1% uh, of the population that has all the money and all the know-how uh, have planned for this. There's a huge seed depository up in the northern hemisphere. There's all kinds of things already in place for this. Uh, most of the people here have been dummied down educationally. They've been lied to. You have tons of negativity coming at you. Your ability to use your innate ability is messed up. Okay. So and are they going to abandon to us and, and allow only the, the 1% of the 1% will survive? And what, what of the rest of us? That's what they're planning. They don't care. What, what do you think is going on right now? I mean, use your cognitive reasoning here. What do you think is happening to the people on this planet right now? Think it through. There is going to be a culling of humanity because they can't take the chance on you fighting them for their underground places because a lot of us already know where they are. This is not okay, a joke. But but the what, the ETs are going to sit back and watch this happen, or are they going to come in like the cavalry, or what? What's to be done? Okay, we're autonomous beings. We were put on this planet to evolve. We have been given free reign here. We have always had the ability to make our own decisions. Our consciousness is total and complete all the way around the planet. Every person on this planet can add into their consciousness of everybody else, but they can't right now because you're cut off from it psychically. You're not using your abilities. Um, they want you to wake up so that you can hear the truth. You're going to have to prepare to take the CME, okay? You're going to have to prepare to survive. Once it happens, and I'm telling you that it's going to be a big deal, every single satellite on the planet is going to hit the ground when this happens. Uh, they're already planning, NASA's planning to bring the ISS down in about a year and a half because they're afraid it's going to hit one of their facilities. So they're going to control, drop it into the deepest part of the ocean. Look it up. It's true. Okay, if you sit and critically eyeball everything that's going on across the globe, you will start connecting the dots into truth. For you to understand all of it, you need to learn how to communicate with ET. They cannot help you if you cannot understand them. And that means detox your body, eat the right food, stop eating meat here. It is bad for you. Okay, it will mess you up. Uh, ETs are meat eaters as well. They're omnivorous as we are, but they wouldn't eat this meat if their life depended on it. It's bad. Um, clean up. Use your abilities. Meditate. Learn how to OBE. Learn to connect up to the serious uh, consciousness of the universe. It talks. You could hear it. Once you do that and that you ET work on surviving this, ET will come back after that CME hits. It'll take about six months to a year for that for our magnetosphere to boot back up and be where it belongs, okay? And they can come in then, and they do plan to land everywhere all over this planet, open the doors, and get us to hell, excuse my French, out of here. Because this isn't all that's going to happen. We have a sun that has been accumulating debris, and it is about to micronova. You saw a micronova in 2019, Beetle, uh, Beetlegeese micronova. They didn't tell you the truth about it, but that's what you were watching happened. Everything on the surface of that sun that accumulated and became heavy exploded like a bomb and went out into their solar system. We're about to have that happen to us. So let me ask you now, Preston, after hearing all of this from Dolly, uh, is there a little bit, maybe a part of you that wishes maybe you hadn't met her and, and didn't hear all of this bad news, potentially bad news? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm hearing this from other contactees. This is not unique. Many contactees have told me how they have visions of the skies filling with UFOs, them landing, picking people up. Uh, but I think this is great news for us because we cannot continue on the path we're going down. 
There's greed and corruption and pollution and war choking our planet. And we are on the verge of destroying ourselves anyway. So I think this is not doom and gloom at all. This is really good news for us. It might be, you know, rough to go through for a little while, but ultimately I think it's going to be a new age for humanity. But most won't survive. I mean, would you not agree? Most most will not survive this. Um, well, there's no such real, thing real, as death, for one thing. You realize there's no death, right? You realize that we recycle here. We recycle all over the universe. You are, an, you are a constant, alive entity that has no beginning and no end. You are conscious throughout the universe. And if you do end here, it just means nothing. It just means that you're going to start over again somewhere else and decide what you're going to do with yourself. Those who do survive will be taken to safety. Um, there's an issue with this as well, because it's going to take a long time for this planet once it's, that that um, micronova happens, because our planet's going to flop mm -hmm. over. You know, our uh, um, planet's not going to have about, the same, I've got about 20 you know, seconds anything. here. Um, it's going to take ahead. about 30 million years for it to re to get okay. Um, 30 million. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Listen, I gotta, yeah. we got to run. Um, I'll, I'll okay. be speaking with both of you on uh, Coast to Coast AM in the very near okay. future. So uh, thank you both for this. You're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, Preston Dennett and will, uh, Dolly Saffron. Yeah, listen for us on Coast. Uh, we have Mary Joyce coming up next. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, and Ryan White is our live stream producer. Be sure to check out my YouTube and Rumble channels, Strange Planet. All right, this hour, a visit from one of my favorites, Mary Joyce. She's worked for two major metropolitan newspapers, the Orlando Sentinel in Florida as an artist and columnist, and the Oakland Press in Michigan as a Sunday magazine editor and then feature editor. On the side, she's written magazine articles and books, and since 2008, 
She's been the main researcher and editor for the Skyships Over Cashiers website, which features a wide variety of cutting-edge topics from UFOs to secret underground bases, from Bigfoot to Cherokee Little People. And she's the author of a number of books, including Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains, Cherokee Little People Were Real, Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us, and Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Mary, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm real good. I hope you are, too. Likewise, yes, yes. Um, This is an interesting story. And uh, Julian Lennon, uh, John Lennon's son, the late John Lennon's son, uh, performed a tribute, kind of a memorial to his uh, father. He was uh, fundraising uh, for Ukrainian uh, refugees and and to raise money for for war-torn Ukraine. And uh, I guess that kind of got you uh, thinking about something that happened back in 2013 at John Lennon's um, memorial, a peace tower in Iceland. Tell me about that. Um, believe it or not, it was what a place to build a memorial, but it's on uh, the on the island, I guess, uh, of uh, Greenland and uh, Iceland. Oh, yeah. Iceland I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, and it's called Imagine Peace Tower. It was built by Yoko Ono, his wife, and she dedicated it to her husband. Well, what is interesting is that I, uh, a bunch of years ago, was contacted by a man who lives in the Netherlands, and he uh, has gotten us some really great UFO photos. And he, ha- he got UFO photos of these UFOs going around this tower. Now, this tower is a tower of light. And so they're real strong blue beams that go straight up into the sky. And so there are these... Um, UFOs that circle that beam of light, which is almost like they're endorsing uh, what that stood for. And uh, during this time where we're having war again, uh, and with uh, Julian Lennon coming out with this song again, uh, I just thought that was kind of appropriate to bring that old story back up for people to hear about. Are UFOs often attracted to um, beams of light emanating from, from the surface of the Earth? This is the first time I can actually connect them with something like this. Um, many times we connect them with um, uh, electrical uh, power plants or nuclear power plants or military bases or large bodies of water. Um, I've never really been aware of them just being attracted to a beam of light, which, in my opinion, perhaps makes this uh, more significant because they were acknowledging um, quite an unusual uh, memorial. Right. And John Lennon had a, a fascination with UFOs. Of course, he had that famous sighting when he lived in the Greenwich Village. This was before he was in the uh, the Dakota building with Yoko. He was living with uh, Maypang down in uh, the village and saw, both of them saw from the roof of their apartment building, uh, a huge craft uh, just hovering down, I guess it would be the Hudson River, and um, he he wrote about that in uh, or mentioned it on his 1974 uh, Walls and Bridges album. So he had a long-standing fascination with UFOs. At one point, when he was living in the Dakota, he claimed to have had a dream that turned out not to be a dream. There were um, aliens in the building, and they handed him an egg, which he later. I don't know if you've heard this story, Mary, but he he later gave this egg. It looked like a Fabergé egg almost. He gave it to Yuri Keller, the famous Israeli um, psychic. Have you heard of that story? 
I've only heard about him seeing a UFO from his apartment. I do not know about this egg. So go right ahead and inform us all. Oh, that's about it, really. I, I, I don't have much more to add, except that he claimed that the these insectoid-like uh, aliens uh, at, the, uh, at the Dakota handed him this egg, and apparently it was, I don't know, supposed to hold the key to all knowledge or something, but at some point uh, he had befriended Yuri Geller, and he gave him this egg, and uh, Yuri still has it to this day. So that's just a kind of a, a quick aside. So it is interesting that his... Um, uh, his imagined Peace Tower Memorial in Reykjavik would be visited by, it uh, looks like, some extraterrestrial uh, craft flying around. This um, it's, a, it's a rather unique-looking memorial. It's, um, as you say, there's uh, 13, I believe, 13 um, uh, light beams pointed up into the sky. They go something like two and a half miles up into the sky. All right, so we have to talk about some... Um, Interesting video evidence of a Mississippi, or Mississippi swamp ape. And uh, how did you get a hold of this? Uh, sometimes I just stumble on things, and I sometimes feel like somebody's behind me just kind of pushing me in a direction to find something. Um, so I, there's no special thing except I stumbled on it. And what makes this interesting is that there was a man who was in a swamp in uh, Mississippi, and he was dressed in camouflage, and he was hunkered down in this swamp hunting wild hogs. So he's being very still. He's waiting for a wild hog. And what happened was he was so still and so camouflaged that there was a Bigfoot um, not far from where he was who was oblivious to uh, this man. His first name is Josh, uh, even being anywhere near. And so Josh was able to get uh, images of, or not images, a video of this um, Bigfoot who seemed to be eating something from inside the base of a very large, somewhat hollowed out cypress tree. And he is either peeling off the inside of the tree and eating it, or there's something inside there, uh, you know, like ants or uh, termites or something that he would find appealing. And I encouraged people uh, in the posting to um, enlarge the picture on their computer and to also turn up the volume, because what makes this video um, authentic is that you can hear the sounds and they match the movement. And when people do fake things, it's real hard to make everything sync. And this Swamp Ape picture uh, does exactly that. We've only gotten one other swamp ape um, uh, video footage, and that was in a Florida swamp. And this was just a canoeist who was uh, uh, just canoeing in uh, a swamp. I believe it was um, northeast of Tampa. And uh, he just uh, stumbled upon a Bigfoot who was also having lunch. But again, snapshots would never convince you of anything. What makes these both convincing is the movement. And in the Florida case, you can see the Bigfoot catch a snake, and then it looks like he eats it. So um, both of these people were able to catch some active lunchtime uh, periods for the Bigfoot. Right. These are two of the most compelling pieces of video evidence I've ever seen of Bigfoot. And in, in, in these cases, I guess they are swamp apes. Um, so it's just another name for Bigfoot. Right, right. 
but they seem to be uh, generally they're 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 smaller than the the, the Bigfoot that we uh, think of when we uh, from the Pacific Northwest. Let's say correct. I kind of put them in three categories. The one the ones down in the swamps uh, tend to be the smaller ones. The ones where I live are kind of medium sized and I'm here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And then out west is where you get the really big big guys. Right. And uh, often, you know, the photographs we see of Bigfoot, they are very blurry or they're from a distance. You really can't make out what's happening. Um, and in some cases, you know, they're obviously hoaxes. But in, in this case, uh, you see, as you say, um, a man who's hunkered down in the woods and he's captured this, I guess, on his camera phone. Uh, and he's trying to walk gingerly up to this this hollowed out tree where this creature is kind of hunched over. And as you say, it looks like he's stripping off pieces of bark or something and eating. And um, uh, it, the, the creature has kind of long, gangly arms. Uh, it almost looks like a gorilla. That's the first thing I thought. What did you think? Um, the proportions are, are different. And when he stands up at the very end of the film, um, he takes on the shape of what we expect a Bigfoot to, to, to look like. Uh, but it scared the you-know-what out of Josh, and the, the video quickly came to an end because you can see him running off. He'd had a, he wasn't going to contend with this guy. Right. It's a, it's a 2 minute 16-second video, and the link is provided if you go to skyshipsovercashiers.com, skyshipsovercashiers.com, and I've linked up to, the, to uh, Mary's website at strangeplanet.ca. Just click on her name. It'll take you right there. And then just look for the uh, Mississippi Swamp Ape video story. And uh, there's a, a link there where you can watch the first one uh, involving this hunter, Josh. Uh, then in the second one, where did the second one come from? This is a, a, um, was taken in a Florida swamp, and it was sent, whoever took the video, then sent it to somebody else, I guess, who runs kind of a Bigfoot evidence website, and he enhanced it. Um, somebody did do that with a version of this. I believe what we have is the original. Mm. Okay, and kind of set this one up. This there's, is uh, there's, a, there's a man. Um, I, his name is Think. His title is Thinker Thunker, and he um, takes different kinds of videos, especially of things that are in question like this, and will analyze them. He will do it all sorts of different ways. So there is a version of his commentary on that. Um, I have um, uh, the simple one that just takes you right to um, to the video itself, and it speaks for itself. Again, in both of these videos, if you just take snapshots or individual frames from the video, there's nothing convincing about it at all. It is the continuous movement and action that becomes so convincing. And that second one with the Florida Swamp Ape, uh, ran about three and a half minutes. Yes, again, the most compelling video evidence I've seen of um, perhaps any cryptid, Bigfoot or otherwise. Uh, in your book, um, Bigfoot... About, beyond, about Bigfoot, uh-huh. Yes, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Um, do you spend a lot of time discussing swamp apes? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Um, because um, I like to be as close to the stories as I can be. And so most of the stories that I have in there, not all of them, but uh, they all started here in the mountains of uh, North Carolina. And as you've heard me say before, 
Um, I'm in a really interesting spot because we have Bigfoot, we have little people, we have UFOs, and we have underground military bases. And so for a a former newspaper uh, writer and editor, it's a a very interesting place to have moved into. I'll say, yes, you're right in the, uh, uh, seems like you're right in the the center of all that activity. Uh, This is a fascinating story at skyshipsovercashiers.com. It's about a mummy, a 14-inch tall mummy uh, that was discovered. And it's uh, it's of a little person, all right, about 14 inches, as I say. Tell us about it. Where was it discovered? Well, this wasn't, this is not a news story, actually, but it's one that nobody I know had ever heard of. And back in 1932, there were two uh, gold miners. Um, I believe they were south of um, Casper, Wyoming, and they found a cave in the San Pedro Mountains. And in it was this little mummy. Now, this mummy um, has been confirmed as authentic because uh, it was given to the American Museum of Natural History. And they confirmed that it was a real little human, uh, 14 inches tall, about 65 years of age. Uh, Because it came from the San Pedro Mountains, it's called the Pedro Man. So you can probably, you know, find some of the information about the Pedro man just by typing that into your search bar. Um, But the little man had been killed rather violently. He basically was in a yoga position, which you normally think of as something peaceful. Um, But he had been hit so severely that his brain was exposed. His collarbone was broken. His spine was damaged. Um, I I don't know why somebody would want to beat the you know what out of a little tiny uh, creature, but they did. So anyhow, because of the American Museum of Natural History and also Harvard University Anthropology Department confirming all of this, uh, it's not just a a hoax. It's not just something that somebody wanted to dream up for the world. Um, When I first posted it, I had a number of photos of it, and I posted one of them. After I did that, I found another picture, which which was much more interesting, and I had to do a whole new article Um, because the side view of this little mummy, he has pointed ears, like elf ears. And so I did a whole recent article, and it's just titled, Pointed Elf Ears Were and Are Real. So I have a picture of this little mummy where you can see his ear. And then here in the mountains uh, where we have little people, um, there was a medallion-sized, I don't know, little a little face has a face on both sides. It has the elf ears. It has a rather large nose and strange eyes. And this was found during a historic flood here in the mountains. And it was found by a little five-year-old. And so it came from so deep within the ground that that in itself indicated it was very old. But it's in the same area as um, our little people stories and our little people legends. And according to the old timers that I interviewed about the little people, there were two different kinds in this area. And one looked like the uh, native uh, Cherokee people, but the other one, the Cherokee really didn't like, and they would try to kill them. And they described them as having um, red whiskers and squinty eyes. And I have to wonder if this uh, medallion-shaped little head, uh, which I have, a photo of on the in the article uh if it was a, a, a 
I don't know, a rendition of one of those characters. Um, and then I got even deeper into all this because we all have heard about elf ears with, um, um, you know, gnomes and fairies and elves and leprechauns and all of that. But I found out that there are uh, people born today who have these, and it's not uncommon. According to Yale Medicine, one in every 6,000 newborns has an outer ear deformity they call Stahl's ear. And basically, that is just an extra fold in the cartilage of the upper ear, which produces that point of ear appearance. And so I have, I've included pictures of the ears of um, four little babies, and they all have variations on elf ears. Ah, is that, is that, so is that possible that, I don't know, some, some, somehow years ago, generations ago, there may have been some intermingling with the little people and, and uh, full-size humans, and that gene uh, from the ancestor pops out once in a while? I don't know, but it makes you wonder. And um, quite a few years ago, I uh, picked up an edition of the Cherokee newspaper, which I can't think of the real name of it right now, but it's the paper for the reservation. And there was um, like a wedding anniversary or wedding celebration uh, for a couple. And there was a normal size Cherokee woman and her husband was this little short, 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 short man. And that was the first time I thought about the possibility that there have might there might have been, um, uh, you know, that kind of interaction with the little people, at least sometimes. So anything's possible. Uh, we, we humans seem to be um, rather indiscriminate about how we um, uh, get along with each other. Mary Joyce is the founder and chief researcher at SkyShipsOverCashiers.com. SkyShipsOverCashiers.com. Uh, just getting back to that mummy that was um, uncovered, 14-inch tall mummified remains of a little man. And that was found uh, near Casper, Wyoming. Um, now, when we've been talking about little people, you and I over the years, associated with the Cherokee, um, and and uh, those are mainly, the Cherokee were mainly, you know, in uh, uh, Appalachia, North Carolina. Um, what would a little person be doing way out in Wyoming? Are there stories and legends from out there as well? Uh, the little people have been found all over the world. And uh, a few years ago, I was out in South Dakota and went to the uh, Sioux Indian Reservation out there, one of them out there, and got to know um, a young woman whose, I think, grandfather was a shaman, her older brother was a shaman, and she was a very intuitive um, type of person. And um, she opened up with me, of course, I started the conversation, and she told me about the little people living out in South Dakota. And um uh, so these little creatures are not limited to just one place. And her stories were really uh, rather unique. Uh, the one I like the best is that um, uh, I think it's her older brothers or her uncles. They were, um, I think, swimming in a creek that's on the reservation. And in the course of that, they found a little cave off the side of this creek. And they went into it. And there was a, a, a small quiver a small drum, a small set of arrows and a bow. And these guys, the boys, uh, took these things and took them back to town and showed them to their grandfather. Well, the grandfather got very, very upset 
um, with the boys and told them to take those things right back because it would only cause trouble, which it did for a couple of days. Uh, everybody was losing chickens and uh, the little people were killing them. Now, at first, that sounds just terrible. But on the other hand, if you're just a little person, how can you um, respond to uh, people who are like twice your size and taking advantage of you? So they didn't keep up the retaliation very long, but um, they did let the, uh, the big folks know that uh, they didn't want to be bothered. Don't mess with the little people. Don't All right, mess Mary. With the little people. Mary, we'll take a quick time. I'll come back. Mary Joyce from skyshipsovercashiers.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. And we are back with Mary Joyce, founder and chief researcher at SkyshipsOverCashiers.com. SkyshipsOverCashiers.com. Uh, well, let's keep uh, on with the the little people theme. Um, you've got a story here uh, on the website about a man's encounter with a little person in uh, a forest in South Carolina. Tell me about it. Uh, to be quite honest with you, I am such a newspaper person that I wouldn't have um, published his story if I hadn't already found out about this mummy. He, he managed to contact me after, sometime after that. I think it was before I published it on the website, but um, so he couldn't have picked it up from there. And he um, is a professional who was very concerned that his name not be used because he didn't want people to um, you know, think badly of him because it sounds fanciful. And basically when he was a younger man, he and some of his buddies went on a camping fishing trip. So the whole plan was to go to this place in the uh, one of the national forests in South Carolina, which is adjacent to where I live. And um, they, they would spend the night there. And then the next morning they would get up and fish on the river. Um, and they were, you know, around the campfire, just having a good time. And at some point, uh, this man got kind of tired. His name is James. And he went over and sat on a cooler off by himself. And his buddy came over and asked if everything was all right. And almost instantly, there was this little creature, again, about the 13, 14 inches tall, um, that popped up on a little mound of dirt right next to where they were. Um, his buddy went nuts and was about to smash the little thing, which you can understand why the uh, uh, mummy from uh, Wyoming got smashed because this guy, I guess, was just freaked out by it. Well, the little man disappeared and the friend um, backed off, but the little guy came back. And um, I should back up a little bit because when he first showed up, he was acting real friendly and the the guys could not understand him, but it was clear that he was trying to, you know, say hello or to welcome them. And I asked him what the little guy looked like. And these are his words. He said he was about 13 to 14 inches tall. He looked human. 
maybe a little fat, and his skin was whitish like a Caucasian. He had round cheeks and a pudgy nose, and his eyes were lighter. He looked like a gnome from the gnomes book, except he didn't have a beard. His hair was brown, and his hat wasn't pointed. It was a floppy brimmed hat, and then he uh, gave me a photo of what it kind of looked like. And uh, his clothes were brown, different shades from light to dark. If you were walking in the forest, he would blend in so well you probably wouldn't see him. He wore boots with his trousers tucked into them. Someone in his tribe must have known how to weave because his clothing was made of cloth. His hair was cut just above his shoulders, and he appeared to be very clean and well-kept. Well, what's interesting is, I think many years after that, he met a person who understood what he, what the James had gone through because he, this other man and his friends used to go fishing and camping in the same area. And he said that they became friends with this little guy. And um, every now and then they would give him a can of beer. So when James was looking back on his whole experience, he said, so it seems the tiny man was initially friendly with me and my buddy because he thought we might have a beer for him. That's probably all he wanted from us that night we were camping in the forest. So it's kind of a fanciful story. And on its own, I'm not sure I would have printed it. But um, uh, when I could do it in conjunction with this verified little mummy, um, I decided it was worth doing. Now, you write in the article uh, that the... Um the little people that you've written about in your book, Cherokee little people were real. You say they're giants compared to the tiny ones that some people have seen. So the Cherokee little people, how, how tall were they or are they approximately? They're, they really are giants compared to the, these little creatures. Uh, they're in the three foot to three and a half feet tall uh, size. Ah, Okay. And and uh, these little tiny people are 13 to 14 inches, so just Correct. over a foot. Correct. Big difference. I'll say. I'll say. And harder to believe. But um, nevertheless, I keep getting more and more um, indications that uh, there is this is a reality. I had a call. I was uh, hosting Coast to Coast recently, and we were doing our open lines on a Friday night. And I asked... Uh, for people to uh, to call in, you know, as per usual on a Friday with their unusual encounters with cryptids or um, strange creatures. And, and someone described, I can't remember which, which state um, he was in, um, went on a fishing trip and he and a few buddies on the banks of this river enjoying some beer. And all of a sudden they realized they were sort of surrounded by these little people. Now, these little people were not friendly. Uh, they started shooting, he claimed, little little uh, arrows at them. And yeah. um, um, the next day, supposedly, they went back and they collected up some of these arrows, and he promised to send me some pictures. He hasn't yet. Um, but it seems like some are friendly and some are quite aggressive, Mary. Um, I, I have yet to become an expert on this because uh, I have just recently delved into this whole uh, world of the, the tiny 12 to, you know, 14 inch ones. So I really cannot make any conclusions at this point, but I certainly am keeping an open mind and will keep doing research on it. Clearly, as long as this one little guy got his beer, he was perfectly friendly. All right. Now, one of the things that you're, you're famous uh, for, Mary, and, uh, and that has to do with these secret underground facilities in North Carolina. And uh, you have an update for us. Tell us about it. 
Um, I'll give you just a little bit of background. I've, I've done research and written about five different underground facilities here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. The one that I believe to be the oldest is known around here as PARI, P-A-R-I. It actually stands for Pisgah Astronomical Research Institute. But this, has, this place, which is in the National Forest here in the mountains, has quite a history. And uh, back in the early 60s, it was a tracking station for uh, satellites and for uh, unmanned flights. Um, and then it was turned over at some point to the Department of Defense. And in my research, I've gotten the testimonies of many people, two of them uh, with top security clearance, who have told me that beneath this Perry facility uh, is a city-sized um, a city, which is self-sufficient. And um, I've heard about it from other people too, but when I hear it from people with top security clearance, that gives it a lot more credibility. Now, what I've, what I've learned more recently is I got a, uh, an email and a phone call from a man who lives near this Perry Center. And he said, there's something going on there. There are explosions under the ground. There's rumblings. Um, it looks like they are doing some kind of underground expansion there. So the first thing I did was to use Google Earth and look at the site. And what I found was there was all this evidence um, of this big hole in the ground where they were taking dirt out. And then there were long bed, uh, at least two long bed trucks, dump trucks. Uh, they were excavating or earth moving equipment uh, pieces around the area. And there was this large hole that you could see that it was a hole. It was mostly covered by two very large tarps. And the dirt was being taken out of there and then spread out evenly uh, on the adjacent land rather than building up a mound. And of course, that would help keep this whole activity more secret. Um, uh, and then I was able to uh, go back in time with Google and found out that in um, 2017, there were no signs of this digging at all. In 2018, there were signs of it. So this made it really clear that that new digging beneath the ground began in 2018. And it's still a mysterious place. There's things that I hear that I can't really uh, put on the website unless I get more credibility or uh, credential people to uh, vouch for it. But I will give you an idea. Um, we've had um, people report that small um, like caravans of black vehicles have been seen going into this facility. Well, supposedly it's an educational astronomy place now. But why would you have those mysterious black vehicles going in a line into that facility? Uh, we had a man uh, who had recently um, retired, not as an old man, but had retired from the Air Force. And he saw uh, a man outside that gate to the facility uh, in tactical gear. And sometimes you can get right into the place and sometimes you can't. Uh, another witness had seen. Um, oh, Mary, let me just jump in here. Pardon okay. the interruption. We'll take a no quick problem. time out. 
We'll come back and we'll pick up on this, uh, an update on secret underground facilities in North Carolina. Mary Joyce, founder and chief researcher at skyshipsovercashiers.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Mary Joyce stays with us, skyshipsovercashiers.com. And we're talking about an updated uh, an update to the uh, secret underground bases in North Carolina. And uh, this one is near Rosman, North Carolina, and it's called uh, PARA, or PERI, which is an acronym standing for Pisgah Astronomical Research Institute. And um, recently there's been some uh, reports of more activity, uh, rumbling and, and uh, a Google uh, map or a Google uh, Earth uh, satellite photo shows a large hole um, in the middle of this area being, uh, and it's covered with a tarp. And then we see long bed trucks carting away dirt and so forth. Um, and you were about to tell us another uh, uh, eyewitness story. Um, I, I guess I kind of started on it. Uh, a man with the Air Force or who had recently retired from the Air Force um, got very interested in what was happening around this place. And he saw um, uh, a man in um, tactical gear guarding the gate. Sometimes you can get into that place without a problem and sometimes you can't. Um, it's just a very strange place. And I will speak firsthand on this when there have been two times when I've had other people in the car with me, when I've gotten close to this place and all four of us have felt this very strange feeling in our heads when we get close to this place. Um, it's, it's a kind of an uncomfortable feeling. It's like you want to get away from wherever you are because it's not pleasant. I call it people repellent. I think they actually use some kind of a electromagnetic, uh, electromagnetic um, pulse or something uh, that I call pe- uh, people repellent uh, that kind of discourages people from coming in that area when they don't want you to be there. Oh, uh, sometimes the police use those uh, for crowd control. They're like microwave uh, uh, weapons on, on trucks. Um, uh, they're very secretive about it, but they do use them. Uh, and, and sometimes they can uh, inflict real pain. People feel like, uh, you know, their skin is being burned, but mm. apparently they don't last. They don't, uh, they don't, um, it's not per- a permanent injury. So maybe that's what's happening there. Any UFO activity around this particular site, Perry? There always has been. Um, one of the witnesses uh, who lives in the area Uh, He used to give me lots of reports of the UFOs coming in, except every time he did, his uh, computer system was all messed up. And finally, uh, one time when he reported something, it actually uh, was crashed completely. Uh, So he quit sharing stories because he simply could not afford to um, um, have his equipment destroyed like that. So there's a real cover up. Uh, situation there even to this day and again uh, as far as we know this started back in the early 60s so why do you suppose there was such a kind of a pause in activity and now it's ramping up again well that to me indicates they're expanding right or or if they're not expanding they're creating a tunnel um, to another underground facility Uh, it, it has to be one or the other 
but it's so close to the hub of this. I think they're expanding. And where would the next, uh, where would the closest underground facility to this one called Perry be in North Carolina? My guess would be it's the newest one, the one that we actually were aware of when it was being built. And that's the one beneath the Smoky Mountain National Park. And we have every reason to believe that there is a tunnel that connects those two. And sometimes you get your uh, evidence in indirect ways. For example, the route that you would go from Perry to the Smoky Mountain facility uh, goes along this mountain ridge. And we got reports from people that lived along that ridge who for X amount of time would feel and hear uh, rumblings and vibrations beneath their homes. And it would only last for you know a few days or a short amount of time and it would stop. And so these underground boring machines can do about seven miles per day. Um, so I think each of these homes was experiencing that tunneling as it went beneath where they lived. So that's kind of one of the indirect indications that uh, a tunnel has been built. And um, I mean, why do you suppose they're tunneling from one one uh, underground facility to another? Would they would they be connected maybe with uh, high speed like maglev trains? Yeah, I, or? that's what that's what we all believe. Yes. And we have seen, there is a picture that's been on the, uh, uh, available for, you know, many years now, and it shows one of these boring machines. It's bigger than any train you could imagine. It's obviously in a cylinder shape, uh, and the people standing next to it look quite small. And uh, so the ability to do these things is, is quite incredible. And yes, that's exactly what I think is uh, connecting these various underground facilities. The man that I uh, referenced um, who had been with the Air Force, um, he absolutely said that there was a tunnel that connected uh, the facilities um, up the northern part of Appalachia near Washington, D.C. that would connect all the way down to uh, where we are here in North Carolina. All right, we'll take one more time out. Uh, Mary, come back and discuss further. Mary Joyce is the founder and chief researcher at Skyships over cashiers.com. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Mary Joyce. Check out the website, skyshipsovercashiers.com. Uh, it's always full value, so many great stories and photographs and and uh satellite images from google earth and videos and uh uh it's just a great collection of um amazing unbelievable stories of the unexplained and uh one such is uh, a giant well what appears to be a giant spacecraft on the ocean floor captured once again using uh google earth mary tell us all about it uh, I want to give credit to anybody who gives me a lead because mostly I go around with my uh, uh, Google Earth and just kind of explore and occasionally I get lucky. But Scott Waring, uh, who many of your people may know, discovered this circular object on the floor of the ocean. And he's the one that speculated that it might be a, a spacecraft. Well, needless to say, um, I decided to check it out for myself. 
and it's disc shaped and it has a dark outer ring and it's about five miles in diameter. So we're talking about something big. Wow. Um, and so I got the images, I enlarged them, I brightened them. And I was left wondering, what was I seeing? Because when I really blew it up, the interior part within this black ring actually looks like it might be transparent because it looks like a continuation of the lines on, uh, you know, on either side of it. And I go, all right, what is this? Just one ring by itself and it's hollow in the middle? Or I, I don't know. It's just a big puzzlement. And uh, you've seen the picture. Have you got a gut reaction to it? Uh, yeah, it, I hadn't thought of uh, it being transparent until you mentioned that. Um, yeah, it does look like, well, it's certainly, you know, very spherical or round. Uh, and there is a, a solid blue, um, you know, line around the outside. And, um, and then, as you say, it's transparent. Yes, you can see the, the bottom of the ocean floor, like the, uh, the ridges or whatever it is on the ocean floor, right through the craft. So, yeah, is it, is it a transparent um, UFO? I don't know. To give your uh, listeners a little bit better idea, these lines that go along this um, fractured ocean bottom kind of look like parallel tracks for a train. Ah, yes, yes. And so these parallel tracks can be seen in the center of this uh, dark uh, circle. And so that indicates you can see right through it. So it's either a ring that's totally just a ring itself, or I don't know. I, I, it left me with so many questions. And in the posting, um, I, as always, give the um, coordinates so people can copy and paste them into their own Google or search bar and look at these things for themselves. Um, as you've heard me say many times, there are too many people creating bogus stuff out there. And that is the reason I am absolutely dedicated to giving people coordinates so they can uh, find these things themselves and don't have to worry about being fooled. And um, where, where, where is, uh, you, you do give the coordinates and people can go to, skyshipsovercashiers.com and click on this story about a giant spacecraft on the ocean floor and find the coordinates. But where do these coordinates take us on the, on the, on, on the globe? Where is this? All right. If you look, if you have a map of South America, the, the large hump on the top, it would be on the ocean, uh, Pacific Ocean to the left or to the west of that continent. Um, it's near where the Nazca lines are, which... It kind of adds another twist to this. Could there be some kind of connection with that, too? Um, you just simply don't know for sure. So this is off the coast of Peru. Yes. As you say, the, uh, the home of the famous Nazca lines, uh, which some people believe are of extraterrestrial origin. So that, it, you know, that could be a connection. And when I've explored the coastline, including the, the, uh, that on our west coast of the United States, um, I have found a number of um, ruins of very large um, facilities that are truly ancient, and they're on the ocean bottom floor, uh, you know, the ocean floor. So uh, there's been a lot of activity uh, in the past along the West Coast. 
You could spend a lifetime, I would imagine, on Google Earth just scouring the ocean floor itself, looking for and zooming in, looking for uh, artifacts and objects that, that don't really belong there, I'm guessing, right? Yes, and let me. T- and sometimes I just take a few, you know, a half hour out and just start scanning things. Let me tell you what I just found today. Haven't even posted it yet. It'll be next week before it ever gets up. But I found these two blood red blotches on Mars, and then there are two like railroad tracks that are parallel to each other. One's in a gold color, and one is this blood red color. When I zoom in on that um, on on those blobs of color, it looks like there's been a deliberate covered up a cover up because you can see it's almost like brush strokes. Um, so somebody's trying to cover something up. Why they would do that with red, I do not know. But then I just learned that this was in an area where um, scientists have said there would be water and ice. And um, so if we have a a facility that already exists, or if we are planning to have one in the future, building it near a water source makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm I'm tying all this together for an article that'll be a week away. All right. Do you think we already have a base on Mars? Absolutely. Is it manned? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the, the, let's see, I'm going to go blank on names. Uh, A man in Israel who was in charge of space security for, I think, for nearly 30 years, he uh, went public in the Jerusalem Post, which is a very highly regarded newspaper, and said that, uh, yes, we uh, have, uh, the Americans have uh, a base up there or bases up there, and that they are interacting and working with the aliens. So when you get that kind of information coming from a man of, of his, um, you know, credibility, um, you have to really, really believe that there is something definitely going on there. And I know you and I have talked about it in the past. I had used Google Earth and found two places, one in the uh, northern hemisphere and one in the southern um, that look like um, um, modern um spaceports or space stations. Hmm. How often has this happened where you find something using Google Earth, you write down the coordinates, you zoom in, you look at it, and then when you go back later, it's it's been obliterated or it's gone? That I've tried to get a picture as soon as I find something because sometimes within a day of me posting it on the website, it gets messed up. Um, they will either blur it out or... In one case, when I found something in Antarctica, it literally looked like they took an ink bottle and just poured the ink over the location. So, yes, um, uh, that's that can be a problem. What's your next project, uh, Mary? You, you finished the uh, the Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints uh, book. What are you working on now? Any plans for another book? Uh, right now, I just keep finding these things and um, putting them on the website. Um, it's a it's a big effort to do a, a book, and I have to decide if I want to do that or not. I could do something on just the little people stories that show that they are that they still exist. When I initially got into this, I thought it, uh, the stories were only from the past, so you know that's certainly a possibility. I could do a book on all the things that I discovered using Google Earth. 
And I certainly encourage people to uh, use the tool for themselves. It's amazing what you can find. Last fall, we found um, a, a number of sites uh, in Antarctica where clearly uh, ancient cities are starting to show up. And these have to be really, 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 really ancient because that continent has been covered in ice for millions of years. So it's kind of like a cross between archaeology and, and detective work. And uh, uh, it, it's fun. That would be a terrific book. Just a pictorial. All of the uh, the Google Earth images, which show some something that shouldn't be there, some strange artifact, some modern-looking structure uh, under the ice that's peeking through, uh, with kind of a you know a, a bit of a, a backstory or a description. You could you could fill volumes just with that alone. Yeah, yeah. So there's possibilities. I just have to get my mindset on doing that, or just continue putting stuff on the website all the time. One or the other. Um, do you continue to be approached by, by whistleblowers? Every once in a while. It's, um, the most recent one. Let's see. Oh yeah. I, 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 I just remembered one. Um, we probably don't have time to get into another one, do we? Well, we've got a couple minutes. We've got two minutes. All right. One man had read my book about underground bases and he went on a camping vacation and he spent some of his time at something called mile high campground which is about as close as you can get to um the secret facility that's been built beneath that ridge uh, and it's technically on uh the great smoky mountain uh, national park property and he was really very brave he's walking around in the dark he he, he walked for about uh, 13 14 miles into the area above where this facility is he found a um uh ventilation vent that was kind of hidden back in the woods where he was exploring. Uh, during the time he was there, he could hear and feel uh, machinery and stuff beneath the ground. Uh, he said it stopped completely at five o'clock. And I've heard this in another situation where you, right, you have to be there at, like at nighttime to catch it. And it's like they cut it off when most people are going to start getting up. And the five o'clock time uh, has come up at least twice at, uh, and, and at two different places. So uh, I guess that's the most recent report I've gotten regarding underground bases. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing some more of those great Google Earth uh, images up at uh, skyshipsovercashiers.com. Mary, great work as always. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Likewise, Mary Joyce. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week. We'll talk rock and roll mysteries with the rock and roll detective. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, pro proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.